Hello and welcome to the Effect podcast. The dark between the stars came slowly creeping back. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And as usual, we have an action-packed episode for you today. We've got quite a lot to talk about in the world of gaming. Uh, in fact, there's loads of odds and ends going on there. There's some new games that have finally come through from Free League. Uh, I've got my copies of uh, Elysium and Crusader Kings this last few weeks. There's alien RPG stuff to talk about. Gen Con, Ennies, uh, RPG a day. Oh yeah, loads. So we've got loads of stuff to talk about in the world of gaming. We obviously want to thank our new patrons since the last time, and also, in light of it being RPG Day and the Ennies, we have the first ever Effect Podcast competition coming up with competition some time! fabulous Yay! prizes to give out. So, well, fabulous prize, fabulous prize, a fabulous to give prize out, <laughs> to give out. Um, but we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, and the rest of the show, well, I've got a little piece to talk about some Simba Room. Beasts that I ran, I created and ran in the Tale of the Lonesome Ogre campaign. Thanks to yeah, a that's question. a special request, isn't it? It is. Thanks to a question from um, Kevin Mansell. Uh, thank you for that, mate. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the piece uh, in a little bit. We also have a another player in the Hammam recording that Matthew made at the UK Games Expo this year with the uh, the wonderful Dave Chapman and Stu Goff. And we do. Finally, then Matthew is going to talk, tell us all why play Coriolis. Yeah, for those of you who haven't been with us since the beginning and might not yet have played Coriolis, I'll try and persuade you to pick that game up. And uh, very, very persuasive Matthew can be as well. So, uh, incredibly persuasive. Yes, legs <sighs> will be broken. <laughs> uh, no, so the world of gaming. Then you have got a bunch of stuff which I haven't got. Because I'm a stingy chap that doesn't back every single Kickstarter in the world. <laughs> Not even every single Kickstarter from Free League. So what have you had from them? Well, I, you know you know me, I'm uh, I'm a sucker for a good Kickstart. And, um, You're a what? I'm a sucker. Oh, a sucker. Okay. <laughs> for a good Kickstart. Thank you. Uh, so um, every now and then I forget about them and they come through the door and I, and I wonder, what the hell is this package about? And then my wife looks at me with a very strange look, and mm. and I say, "Well, that's no, not I... a strange look. That's a disapproving look." <laughs> uh, well, that too. And I say, "Oh no, I backed this months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. You know, this is from, this is from years ago. Uh, so that, as if that makes it okay." But anyway, um, uh, about three weeks ago, I got my copy of Crusader Kings through the ah. door from um, Free League and Paradox, based on the computer game. I just wanted to mention the fact that it was it arrived, and I'm, I am going to get to play it sometime soon. But I um, I only just took the packaging off it today, and that wasn't through lack of uh, excitement or anticipation. It's just that what with everything that's going on and the the new dog and all the other stuff, um, I haven't haven't had time. But I had a look at it today. I haven't and... had time to rip the cellophane off until today. I know, I know, it's rubbish, isn't it? And what? And having ripped the cellophane off, have you have you had time to take the lid off the box? Uh, I have taken the lid off the box. I have had a quick look through the rules. Um, I haven't opened up the game board. <laughs> I haven't got that far. You haven't even opened up the no, game I know. board. Thing all... number one when picking up a new game board is surely unfolding the game board. I know. I was sat on my sofa and the dog was there and I thought if I open up the game board, yeah. she's big. She's 30 kilos. So uh, um, 
Yeah. It might it might And your wife already disapproves of the money you've spent on it. It might not be the same game board after I'd opened it with Diggy around as opposed to That's a good idea. (laughs) Um but I just wanted to flag that it was there and um I will report back at some point on on the game. It looks I mean again, it's the usual brilliant quality. Uh, from the guys. Yeah, and Free League have said that it will obviously be launched to retail at Gen Con, so that's probably the first place that our American cousins can pick it up if they haven't already kick-started it. Uh, and then I guess it'll be going through retail channels shortly afterwards. Indeed. Um, but it looks excellent. Again, it looks looks really good. Um, the other thing that's just come through my door is Mutant Year Zero Elysium, which is the fourth mm. book in the uh, Mutant Year Zero um, why don't we call it the uh, series, I suppose? And it tells about the heirs of doom. So many of you may have heard us and some of our Yenring and Freely Free League friends talking about mutant heirs of doom from back in the day. And I think this is um, their. It's well, it's not only their homage to that game of old, but also um, the mutant year zero game universe is set. I think about three or four hundred years before. Heirs of Doom was set, so it's kind of a prequel setting up the the entire world. But the Heirs of Doom are obviously the humans who have hidden from the apocalypse in Elysium. And there's supposedly many of these, but the, the game revolves around Elysium 1. And uh, again, it looks it looks excellent. It brings all of the, um, the, the games, I think, to a close now. So I think that's probably it, as far as I'm aware, for... I thought year I'd heard zero. a rumour about a Mutant Year Zero Ad Astra, which was going to be in space. Oh, possibly. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. I've got a rumour. I'm sure I've heard a rumour about that. But 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 other yeah, I, I also think I've heard people saying this is the this is the end of the Mutant Year Zero quartet. Uh, so I don't know which to believe. We should we should ask them. Next time we talk to them. Next time we, we see them, them, we certainly will. Yeah. But yeah, in this one you play judicators who are it's it's a bit weird because judicators I've, judicators are on year zero, aren't they? And not year zero, they're in Coriolis. And they're Coriolis. Um, so they're called the same. It, it, it's weird. I mean, I haven't read through the whole book. I've had a good. I've had a look. I've had a look through it. It's the usual beautiful, beautiful production values. Fabulous smell that you get with all these books. I love. I absolutely love the smell. And it adds. Uh, so so basically, you are uh, adjudicator. You belong to one of the four big families although there are quite a lot of other families that are sort of lesser lesser powers and the judicators you know are not necessarily good guys in this and the the kind of the vibe i got was a very sort of uh victorian england feel to it mixed with judge dread mm. <laughs> and that might just be some of the artwork giving me that sort of victorian feel because some of it is quite uh sort of retro and quite um yeah, but it sort of fits in with the Swedish game of mutant called Heidelberg, which is about some city. It's Hindenburg, isn't it? Rather than Heidelberg. Hindenburg, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's Hindenburg, Hindenburg. not Heidel. Yeah. Hinden, not Heidel. Yeah, okay. I'll live. But I don't know I'll where. to your superiority, David. <sighs> Always, Matthew. I'm glad you yeah. finally realised that after 40 years. Um, I don't know what Hindenburg focuses on. As a, as yeah, a realm, but it, 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 it looked. I mean, we're never going to see that. It's only ever going to be in Swedish. But it looked a bit steampunky. So I'm thinking, yes. yeah, maybe they they're foreseeing a sort of collapse of your futuristic um, nuclear bunker type thing of Elysium, 
slowly collapsing into more Victorian-esque style stuff yeah. in the meta story. Yeah. Anyway, so Victorian um, cops in a futuristic underground bunker is what you're saying. It, yeah, I mean, it's more of a bunker. It's more of an underground city. Uh, and it's one of many, but it's it's a bit like the in Mechatron, where you have the um, the collective. It's all failing, and the mm. you know the the powers that be are trying to hide this fact, but actually you really know that your days are numbered. And as with the other books, there is a specific campaign about um, working your way through uh, through Elysium and then emerging into the wider world. And with the kick with the Kickstarter, you also got an extra campaign called the Grey Death, which is uh, intended to take place after the the people in Elysium have have found the surface, and it brings together all four games. So uh, it brings together Year Zero, GenLab Alpha, Mechatron, and obviously Elysium into one campaign. Now I haven't read it in great detail yet, but um, yeah, this is really getting me to want to play Year Zero again. Um, I mean, I now have all four books. I've only ever run a Mutant Year Zero campaign. But now with all the others, each time I get the book, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, I'm so glad I've got it, but I've just got no idea when I'm going to run it. Mm. But uh, again, it's uh, it, it looks really good. They've added a, a contact um, dynamic into Elysium. So a bit like uh, you know, as judges or as judicators, as police... You you rely upon your your, your network your, of uh, your, exactly snitches. your yeah precisely and not just snitches but also all the other kinds of characters you'd get in in Starskin Hutch and Hill Street Blues and all the rest of it which is a nice it's a nice element to it and you can lose those contacts if you don't treat them very well and they might turn on you um, they use the, the 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 mutant dynamic and the um mutant the mutation dynamic and they use the a similar dynamic to mishaps in magic in Forbidden Lands to effectively potentially have mishaps with your contacts and then good or bad things can happen from that. So that's a nice take. Mm. I mean, again, I haven't looked at it in great depth yet, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... Again, you know, what, what Free League do brilliantly is take what is a really, really good idea in their game mechanics and give it a, an excellent twist and another another angle to look at it from. Um, so they're using a similar mechanic, but they're using it for very different purposes, which I think. Is... So you're saying effectively that the context mechanic replaces the mutant powers mechanic or the um, the the beast powers mechanic of uh, the earlier mutant year zero games. That seems to be the case from my very quick look mm. through it. They're certainly using a mechanic that's very similar to that mechanic um, to manage that contact element that that sort of mm. network of contacts um yeah so really good so everyone if you've got it and you're playing it then let us know how it goes if you don't have it yet go and get it and play it and tell us how it goes and if um if i could squeeze the time in the diary then i might see if i can kick off another yeah. year zero campaign let's have a think about that off yeah. the podcast there might be an opportunity to do that um, so, uh, we've also got exciting news about another uh, Year Zero game that we have been talking about pretty much incessantly <laughs> for the last few weeks, uh, and in fact has eaten up an enormous amount of especially your time over the last few weeks, it and has. that's Alien. Yep. And our exciting news is what? Twofold there? Um, well, as, as listeners will know, I was um, lucky enough uh, to be asked to 
to draft up the the rules for the Xenomorphs, the XX-121s, the Xenomorphs that are in Alien and Aliens. Done that. And now you it, see, we ought to say you'd, you'd done that for our uh, UK GE games. Yes. And they liked what they saw so much that uh, they asked you to do it for the core book. They did. Absolutely. With some adaptations. So, yeah, there's been, I mean, it was really interesting. Um, I don't think I can give very much away, but there was a lot more depth in that monster chapter than I'd immediately expected. So it's, uh, it's there's a lot more to it than just a big alien and a little alien. And mm-hmm. so I've um, my rules have been reflected into that, and it looks like they're going to be included, which is fabulous. I'm absolutely delighted to have had the opportunity to do that. And um, you know, when you get the books, guys, and you're killing each other with aliens, you're killing them with my aliens. Woo! <laughs> you know, so, particularly uh, with acid splash, of course. Well, acid splash, exactly. So uh, <laughs> yes, die horribly with acid splash. Um, <laughs> secondly. The um, and there's an interesting thing actually, which we can talk a little bit about later on once you've spoken about Coriolis. Um, mm-hmm. But they had what they felt was too much, too much content for their core book. There's so much stuff they want to include, so much great, great gaming that's um, that they're just pouring out. It's too big, so they'd um, asked if we could adapt some of the work that we'd yeah. done for the UK Games Expo. So the way the, we understood it initially. We thought that the scenario in the in the quick start was going to be in the in the core book as well. The Chariot of the God scenario from the quick start. We had assumed, or had they even told us? Oh no, I think I think that I know. I think that was the expectation that Chariots mm. of the Gods would form the the key scenario in the core book. But the 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 core book is is too long, and they were obviously in need of trying to find space for for other stuff. So they asked if um, if they could uh, if if we could work up some of the stuff that we'd done for Games Expo into a shorter scenario for for the core book, which um, which we've done. I'm not sure how much we can actually talk about the detail of that, so I think we probably have to leave. Well, we should keep it spoiler free. That there. I mean, maybe just say that it's it's quite a, a different adaptation. If you've played any of our three scenarios that we ran at Games Expo. Or if you get to play them at Gen Con, which is the other thing, of course, they asked us to do before all this happened. They said, "Could we, um, could we package up the uh, the three scenarios we'd run for the GMs who are running uh, demo sessions at Gen Con on their behalf?" And we've done that. We've sent them a nice little twenty-four page um, packet with each of the three scenarios in. But this is. This isn't. Um, this is adapted. It's quite different, actually, in the end, from any of those three scenarios. I think we can say that, can't we? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it'll be it'll be different again. Though you you'll recognise one of the scenarios if you play them both, but it will it will feel I think quite different. Yeah. So again, just a you know, absolute great opportunity for us to to contribute in in you know small part but small but significant part to you know what is hopefully going to be you know the standout game of the year so delighted to have that opportunity um and thanks many thanks to thomas and nils and uh, everybody else at free league for um for liking what we've done and giving us that chance so uh yeah yeah so when it comes to the ennies in 2020 and alien is winning all the awards then you're gonna have to try and fly over to gen con to be there Sounds good to me. 
Um, but that that sounds like an excellent segue, which is the segue I was going to go for, but you beat me to it. To um, well, you've been talking too long already. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. coming up. And, well, it, make, it makes a nice um, change because normally I can't shut you up, frankly. <laughs> so go on, yeah, go on. If you want to say something, Matthew, go on. Let me say my bit now. Go on, um, go on, get on with it. Go on. I'm, I'm letting so, you say your bit now. Go on. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> So uh, Gen Con is coming up. We're recording this a little bit later. I think partly your business with, with, with alien rewrites and stuff like that meant we couldn't record quite on schedule. So we're about a week late as of recording this. And we're a week closer to Gen Con, which is internationally, I'm sure, the biggest role-playing event of the year. And as part of Gen Con, the Ennies, the Oscars of the role-playing gaming world, uh, are currently being how do you call it voted for voted for that's yeah, the thing the, the voting is open yeah absolutely yes the voting is open so there are a number of nominations for free league games and of course free league or free again are down uh, on the enormous list of fan favorite publisher yep so get out there Vote early, vote often. Only vote once, obviously, because um, <laughs> you don't want multiple voting. <laughs> vote early, vote often. Hang on. <laughs> what I mean is vote for all the different categories. Yeah, okay. Vote for as many categories as you can. And the beauty of this is it's a kind of proportional representation system. So you get more than one vote for, for most of the categories. And so, you know, you won't be spurning freely if something else has come up that you want to put in the number one slot. As long as you put number uh, free league in at least the number two slot, but um, and of course, generally, what you should do is put all the other games you're enjoying in the one to ten or two to ten slots, and make sure that free league's at the top. Um, <laughs> there are particular categories that I think uh, the free league games stand a particularly good chance in. Uh, the cover for Emissary Lost, the Coriolis campaign is down in the best cover art category. Is, and yeah. I love that picture. Yeah, it so is. So if it doesn't right. win, listeners, it's all your fault. Put that <laughs> in number one. Vote for that one. Don't vote for any of the other ones. Vote for that one. So that beautiful cover there, I'm hoping, will will do very well. I also think we stand a pretty good chance. I say we. <laughs> Freely stand a pretty good chance of winning best production values for Forbidden Lands. Um, you know, it's not glorious colour art, but it is a wonderful thing to hold and a real loving recreation of of the 1980s art that they're using there. So I'm hoping best production values. Um, I was I was going to say it's a great package, but. I, I started sniggering halfway through it. So um <laughs> Now you make me snigger too. <laughs> yeah, so it's a weighty package. Um quite a handful uh when you when you get it through the uh through the thing. But I think best uh, you know, do uh, uh do okay. vote for that one. Uh interior art and monsters. I think the monster codex uh for Simba Room is up for a couple of awards there. Yep. It is. It's up for three, in fact, because it's up for best layout and design as well as um, best monster interior and adversary art. and the uh, interior art. And that, I mean, that is a that is a great book. That is. I mean, I, I I remember when I got that, I was looking through it. They've they've done. It's not just a monster manual. You know, here's a monster and some stats. They give you um, some suggestions about how they would operate tactically, what their you know creature preferences are. 
um, how as a GM, you know, opportunities for gameplay with them and story hooks, which is all really, really, really well done. And I looked through it looking for a, a creature for one of the last scenarios I ran for Tales of the Lonesome Ogre. And I got to the first one and I went, okay, I love it. That's brilliant. I'm using that. So I didn't, you know, the very first one was, was grabbed my attention. I didn't even bother looking through the rest of the book to pick, pick for an adversary for that particular adventure. Mm. I, fingers crossed, it, it deserves, it deserves recognition. And I think also so for me... It's an inspiring th- publication. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, absolutely. And also I would love to see Simbroom get some of the recognition that I think it deserves Partly, part, partly because I would love to see the Yen Ringen side of Freely get recognition rather than just, you know, have a sense that they've been swallowed up by, by Free League. And I, I know that isn't the case, but I think a bit of, a bit of personal specific recognition for some of the work that Yen Ringen had done before they became Free League would be well deserved. And, you know, fingers crossed, I hope they get that award. Excellent. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I don't think we should uh, ever forget the wonderful work of the Simbaroom team. It's, you know, it really is um, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff, all of it. So, yeah, there's there's a number of categories. Go through all the categories and vote for the ones that you really like. Um, we're not in the best podcast category. I don't know what's happened there. <laughs> no, I saw that come up. I mean, I, I don't know how, how would how we get ourselves even in the conversation for being in the best podcast category? No, I mean... I don't know um, who chooses to, it. To be wins. honest, I, I don't know. Is it like the, the studios where actually Free League have put forward and paid money to, to enter a number of categories? I think it's probably like that, but we ought to investigate think? it. Okay. I don't know. I Yeah, I don't think it's... A, you know, apart from the, the fan favourite publisher nominations is open nomination, so... A couple of weeks ago, in yeah. fact, there was a bit of a thing that went out saying, you know, who do you want on the fan favourite publisher list? Uh, which has caused a couple of uh, interesting things on that list. The um, the English company that used to own the licence to RuneQuest before uh, Chaosium uh, came back to life um, are down as both design mechanism and the design mechanism. So they're competing against themselves. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, oh and I guess that's two different fans. Uh, one of them putting the definite article in. So that that is totally free nominations. But right. I I wonder whether the other nominations we ought to investigate it. Yeah. But maybe not investigate it until we're both going to Gen Con one year, so that we you know, <sighs> we wouldn't want to be stuck here like like the guys at Free League were when when Tales from the Loop won big and they weren't any of them there. No. And Modiphius picked up all the awards. I mean, you know, I'm not saying Modiphius they, shouldn't have picked up the awards. They collected but the awards. It would have been nice to be there. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. So when 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 Free League pay for our flights over to America, <laughs> that's that's when we'll nominate ourselves as uh, as, as best podcast. Well, I think I think but, I did I think I did catch Nils at a uh, a low moment when we were at the Games Expo, and I said, uh, "Well, you know, where's where's my ticket?" And he went, "You could bloody well have mine." <laughs> he wasn't so I think it's a, a bit, a bit, a bit conventioned out possibly at that moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> but unfortunately, um, my ticket hasn't come through the post, so I'm assuming he, he hasn't sent you his. Ticket. He wasn't serious. No, damn. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Next year, next year, Nils, we'll go from your world. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and I and the podcast, it's always Ken and Robin talk about stuff that always wins top podcast anyway. So um, we have to wait for one of them to retire before we uh-huh. can nominate ourselves. Well, it would be nice just to be nominated, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be... It would be nice. nice and it would also and be nice, su- wouldn't it, if surprising. people just uh, had the opportunity to uh, to share what a lovely podcast we were, which brings us neatly <laughs> into our special celebration of Gen Con and the Ennies and uh, Forbidden Lands multiple nominations, which is our competition. <laughs> Woo! Um, so at UK uh, Games Expo, we were given a very special copy of Forbidden Lands, the entire box set. They gave it to us because it was the um, unwrapped copy, so it has been fingered by a large number of prospective buyers. (laughs) But it is in really good nick. It's lovely. The only thing that's wrong with it is there's no cellophane around it. Uh, and, and, uh, And the guys at Freely gave it to us. Of course, we've all got copies. Uh, apart from your brother Tony, but we're not giving it to him. No, no and no. so we thought it would be good to offer uh, as a competition prize. Indeed, um, and even though even though it's been uh, uh, you know uh, touched and looked at by by a lot of people, it's in it's in very good condition. As Matthew says, it's not like it's a it's a you know it's a cast. It's not dog eared or no, no, or no, no. fingers it's, on the uh, edge of the pages. I think it's uh, in people great condition, it lovingly. So the competition then, Matthew. Who who wants to win a lovely, almost brand new copy of Forbidden Lands? And what do they need to do to get their hands on it? Well, we thought long and hard about what we wanted to get out of this competition, and in the end, we decided we want recognition. <laughs> we want you to tell us on social media what your favourite episode of the Effect Podcast is and why. So do so on Twitter or Facebook or any other social media, but maybe if you do it on one that we're not on, give us a shout and tell us. Um, On Twitter or Facebook mainly, under the hashtag best effect, with a K, remember? So B-E-S-T-E-F-F-E-K-T, best effect. Tell us which your favourite episode of The Effect has been and why. And we'll put everybody who applies to that into a hat or some other random name generator. And we will pull out a winner and then contact you by private message to arrange shipping you the Forbidden Lands box set. Indeed. And we we are giving you a few weeks to do this. We will announce the winner and we will record on the same day as well on day 16 of RPG A Day. So the 16th of August 2019. That's a Friday. Fittingly, the topic for that day is dream. So you can dream about getting your hands on a, a fabulous copy of Forbidden Lands if you don't have one already or you want to give one to your your best friend who is uh, going to play the game with you. So you've got really until the 15th. We well, to, got um, until the 15th. The door closes on the 15th and the theme of RPG A Day for the 15th is door. So that will remind <laughs> you. Uh, by close of play on the fifteenth, put your put your recommendation for your favourite episode onto social media uh, with the hashtag Best Effect, and we will uh, uh, put all those off the various social mediums and into our, as I say, our as yet to be defined um, random random winner generator, and we'll pull somebody out. We of will that we'll find a top hat, and we will stick the names in it, and we will draw it out of that. If you want to. 
make a comment on this um, somewhere else where we won't be able to pull back a hashtag, feel free to do so, please. But just give us a drop us a quick line at uh, feedback at effectpodcast.org to make sure that we know that you've done it and make sure that your name goes in the hat. We certainly wouldn't want you not to be in the hat because you put something really nice about us somewhere. Um, and yes. We, we just didn't know about it. So if you're not sure, drop us a line at feedback at effectpodcast.org and we'll make sure that you're in the draw. And talking of other ways that you can um, uh, share in the uh, supporting us as a podcast, of course, we have Patreon. We have a Patreon account and you can always, of course, join us as a patron. And we've got one new Patreon to thank this month. And his name is Angus McLeod. Hey, hi, Angus. And thank you very much for joining uh, our little community on Patreon. Delighted to have you with us. Jolly good. You can find us on patreon.com slash effect if you want to join our growing gang of supporters. Uh-huh. Cool. So well, what's up next? I think what's up next is beasties. Well, talking about gangs of supporters uh, and lovely listeners. So you had a um, a message sent through, didn't you, on the, uh, on, on the email from uh, mm-hmm. Kevin from Glasgow, I think he is who was asking about some of the creatures that I had been using in the Tale of the Lonesome Ogre campaign. And we thought, what better way of answering the question than um, taking it and making a piece on it to broadcast right now. Simbaroon Beasties. Here we have a special piece in direct response to a question from one of our lovely listeners. So, Kevin... Here is a little bit of detail on some of the creatures and mythical beasts I introduced into my Simbaroom campaign, The Tale of the Lonesome Ogre. Those familiar with the story will know that it takes place far to the northeast of Thistlehold, at the further outpost of Ambrian Settlement, called Granite Hold. However, this outpost was one reach too far, and soon the Ambrian merchants and nobility who'd sponsored it in the first place lost interest and left the struggling settlement to fend for itself. Those familiar with the story will also know that Granite Hold is haunted at night by a malevolent spirit or spirits that have slowly emerged from the forests around them. Now it is deadly to step outside after dark, and the bells of the Church of the Sun peal loudly as soon as the sun touches the treetops to the west, calling people home before it's too late. What this spirit wants and where it came from, nobody knows. But this blight in the dark is exactly that, a blight on granite hold. The spirit manifests wherever people venture forth after dark, taking maybe two or three rounds to fully appear. Its attributes are largely average, a couple of points either above or below ten. Discreet and persuasive are both low at five, but strength is high with fourteen. I say appear, but it doesn't have a form that anyone can recognise. It swirls rather like smoke. Some witnesses say it sometimes forms up like a huge warrior with a floating cloak around it. Others that it's an enormous fist or claw. But no one really knows. All they do know is that this black mist hardens and hits with terrible force before melting into the smoky darkness again. When it manifests, the Blight has toughness of 14, with no pain threshold, and a defence rating of 12. 
As blows struck against it seldom strike anything solid, the blight only takes half damage from all attacks. It attacks with its deadly touch, which it can do twice per round, giving 3 or 1d6 damage, and ignoring armour entirely. As it melds with the darkness of the night and can appear from anywhere, it will always get a surprise attack on its target unless a vigilant versus quick test is made. Your best defence is intelligence, the intelligence to barricade yourselves indoors as the sun goes down. The blight in the dark isn't the only danger that Potboy, Grendel and Rado Maramai have had to face. And in the tale of the Lonesome Changeling, they were tracked and challenged by two shape-changing Quasit imps. Summoned by someone or something unknown, these minions serve their master. But they are mischievous and willful, following orders but seeking ways to subvert their master's will if their master isn't clever enough and gives the Quasits either ambiguous orders or too much latitude to use their initiative. Their attributes are quite impressive, with all at 12 or more, with the exception of persuasion of 4 and strength of 8. They are naturally sneaky creatures, reflected in their discrete score of 15. With toughness of 8 and defence of 8, and 1d4 armour, they are tough little beasts. Attacking with a claw will deal 3 damage, or 1d6, should you wish to randomise. Every Quasit Imp has at least two mystical powers, one of which is always a modified version of the mystical power Shapeshift. They can shift as often as they please, with a successful resolute test, but can only shift into forms that are of a similar size. The shift itself is instant. Forms that are commonly favoured by the imps include large birds and armoured creatures, but when moving about where they may be seen, the form of a small goblin is their favourite. When in this form, they like to fight with daggers and crossbows. The Quasit imps that were found in Granite Hold had the additional mystical powers of Curse and Mind Throw. Their plane of origin is not known, but in Davakar, corruption appears to have little effect on them. Finally, in the Tale of the Troubled Spirit, the players uncovered a tentacled beast in a chasm under the floor of Grendel's old home. This was a weak scorner, to be found on page 90 of the excellent Monster Codex. So, you, you, you surprised me. I, I seriously thought that uh, those creatures were in some, not the Monster Codex, obviously, because that hadn't come out when we started playing, uh, but in some sort of, um, you know, beastie pages, monster pages okay. of the core work. But these were entirely of your own creation, is that right? Yes, yes, they were. So I I had a... Well, very early on, I knew that there was something going to be in the dark around Granite Hall, so it was going to be nasty to go outside at night. Um, and then obviously just had to work something up uh, on that basis. And then um, with the imps, I knew that I I needed a foil or a, um, a minion of the bad guy or bad guys that you may or may not come across in the campaign when we carry it on at some point. And, yeah, um, it got me it got me thinking that there's somebody that we haven't met yet, or if we have met, we haven't quite realised that they're the um, all-powerful imp controller. Mm. Uh, I, I, I must admit, up until hearing this, I had assumed the imps were free agents 
just causing ah. mischief on their own, not necessarily working for somebody. Ah, okay. So we've so got I've, to, I've know, given something away then, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, ah, damn. You wish okay. you kept it secret. Now. Yeah, exactly. I should have just sent a message back to Kevin. That would have been much easier. Well, I'm, I can just change it. I can just change. They, no, really, they work on their own. You know, they're fine. You know, they're they're really they're cool. Um, but I got the idea for them. Actually, as as you know, Matt, I'm a bit of a uh, an aspiring author, and I've been writing stuff for years, but never quite got to the point of actually finishing anything. Um, and mm-hmm. I I had the I had an idea for a book. Um, based around uh, about a familiar, really focusing on the familiar itself, and oh, the, right. the idea was that the familiar didn't want to be uh, under the, un, in the in the thrall of somebody else, but obviously the power of the spell that summons it means it can't do anything actively against its master, but it can interpret instructions and rules really literally, and the idea being that it's trying to make life difficult and it's trying to engineer its its master into a position where he gets killed because if the master gets killed whilst he's summoned he'll get freed he can then be a lesser demon and do stuff on his own um and that was kind of the basic idea that i had behind these guys that actually maybe at some point they could be something that uh, a player character might summon but then actually they're probably more more trouble than they are actual actually worth i would probably need to do a bit more work on them about how you'd summon them or what the ritual would be uh to do that which I haven't done so far, but um, yeah, an idea for future perhaps that I could perhaps work up. Um, the, th- yeah. the, third, the third creature in that that I mentioned very briefly at the end was taken um, out of the Monster Codex. And in the Monster Codex, you don't actually, uh, it doesn't allow you to have scorners that are weak. Um, but obviously if I'd done a full strength one, then you guys have had no chance. So I had to, I had to make it a weakened scorner in that, in that instance. Right, right, okay. So it was quite scary enough. That's <laughs> I didn't even know that's what it was called, but um, it was a good thing to run away from, I can tell you that. <laughs> cool. Good, good. Well, Kevin, I hope that um, well, that was useful, and I'll um, I'll ping you a copy of what I've, I've done so you can have that on your email. If I haven't done that already, I don't think I have. I intended to, but my brain these days is like mush. So if I haven't done that already, I will do it soon. Yeah, and um, if you've got any more questions you want to ask about anything you hear on the uh, on the podcast, either the magazine shows or on um, the 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 actual plays when we when we get around to building them up, then uh, do just drop us a line at uh, effect podcast. Uh, sorry, feedback at effectpodcast.org. Talking of actual plays, um, I did want to, just earlier, and I missed the opportunity, to plug our friend Doug and Victory Condition Gaming. So last weekend, I ran another live stream game for Doug and uh, our fabulous friends, all at different locations in the States, all of whom have had to drag themselves out of bed at some ridiculously stupid hour of the morning <laughs> in order to make it uh, playable. But, Easy for you to play. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was called Just Another Bug Hunt. It's now up on YouTube if you wanted to watch it. It was another scenario, one that I just put together. It intended partly to uh, to test some of the rules that I'd been putting into the core book. Um, so yeah, it's there. Go to it. Subscribe to Victory Condition Gaming. It's a great channel. But I just wanted to give that shout out. Uh, yeah that's good and uh doug has that on youtube but he also has a podcast version of that so search it on podbean as well and you'll um 
if you want to listen to it in audio only, then you can do the so there. Cool. Now, talking of uh, other gamers, it's time for another Players in the Hammam slot. It is, isn't it? I mean, when I was working at UK Games Expo, running around and selling stuff and running games, you were off having fun talking to lots of different people, weren't you? I was working talking to lots of different people. This, well, this is work. Let's let's listen to this interview and let the let the listeners decide whether you were working or whether you were just having a bit of a chinwag with some mates. Well, here we are outside the UK Games Expo in sunny Birmingham, which aren't two words you put together massively often, but sunny Birmingham is where we are right today. And uh, it's lovely weather for staying inside a massive hangar. Um, but I've met inside that massive hangar Dave Chapman and Stu. Stu, what's your name? Stu Goff. Stu Goft. And uh, you are two fans of Tales from the Loop. Very much so, yes. Oh, yeah. I also want to say that quite a famous fan. Uh, uh, I, I, tell I, us about your life in gaming, Dave. <laughs> My life in gaming. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself famous, but um, I'm probably best known for being the game designer for the Vortex system that's um, used for Doctor Who role-playing that Cubicle 7 uses. Um, and so I designed that game system and was lead writer for Doctor Who for a little while. And I was also one of the writers on uh, Star Trek Adventures for Modiphius. Excellent. Uh, so any particular bits of Star Trek Adventures that we can credit you with? Um, I was was line developer for a while and, oh. and lead writer for the core book. Um, so um, there's a lot of me still in there before I I did a Brian Fuller and kind of pulled out um, before it came out Um, but but yeah a lot of that is is still um, me still you in there excellent (laughs) I've got the core book so I don't think I've got your work there excellent excellent Uh, but yeah before that I did Buffy the Vampire Slayer for Eden Uh, I did some did uh, Conspiracy X for them as well and all that kind of shenanigans and also Right now, you're famous for an annual thing that we've participated in. Oh, excellent. Yes, yeah. Um, RPG a day. RPG a day? Yes. In August? In August, yes. Gen Con month, because I never make it to Gen Con, and I wanted to do something that was a bit sort of social and online, and to get people talking in a positive way about role-playing. So will there be an RPG a day 2019? There will. Um, there, There was a time... This year, when I thought maybe not, because there's a lot of similar. Yeah, I noticed that they're all copycats. None yeah. of them are as good as RPG Day. Um, and I thought, oh, there's a lot of those about. Why, why bother this year? And then I thought, no, because people might actually miss it. Uh, it's going to be slightly different this year, though, and you'll be able to interpret the daily prompts in a lot more broader ways. Oh, intriguing. So when are we going to see those come out? Uh, hopefully, because uh, I, I work kind of with uh, Anthony Boyd, who's best known as Runeslinger Online, yeah. um, who does a lot of really cool reviews. He's based out in Korea, I think, if I remember mm-hmm. rightly. Um, but yeah, he we kind of work together to work out what the um, questions are for each each month. We're just sort of putting them together now, so hopefully you'll get a good heads up of at least a month. Excellent, because we like to record all ours in advance <laughs> and then pretend that we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, just one other plug for you. Of course, you've got a blog and it's called? Oh, uh, I think it's just uh, autocratic.blogspot.com. 
or you can just find me at uh, autocratic.com as well. Is that with a K? Or that is with a K on the end, yes. wearing the T-shirts, which you can't see. Excellent, yes. <laughs> For the benefit of the tape, he's wearing a T-shirt that says autocratic with a K on the end. <laughs> um, and Stu, tell us about your life in gaming. Have you, are you as famous as Dave? I don't think I am, no, sadly not. Um, I've been GMing and playing since I was 10, which is now about 35, 34 years, plenty of time. Um, I play a weekly game with Dave. Uh, we do that over Skype because I'm living in Glasgow, so it's a bit, can't really do it in person. Uh, weekly game has been, it's been a few things. We've done uh, the Star Wars FFG system. We did about a year, two years of that, I think. Yep, yep. Uh, we've done some Tales from the Loop. Which was awesome. Yeah. If it got really... a little bit bloody. It did though, get a bit was, dark, yeah. It got really dark considering. Did it get a bit things from the flood? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got things from the, from the flood ready to run, but I'm actually a bit worried about running it with the group, seeing as Tales started off very lighthearted and jovial and got dark very quick, and things from the flood starts very dark, so I'm a bit worried about how it could, could it Okay, be? well, this is the reason why I brought you out here, because our players in the Hammam likes to talk about people who play freely games, and uh, one of the things I noticed on your blog is you talk about Tales from the Loop a lot, Dave. So yes. Has that been playing in Stu's campaign? Yes, yeah. Stu's, been, Stu's been running it for us and, um, and, and yeah, doing a great job. This yeah. We also actually, we did a bit of uh, a kind of a Westworld jam using Mutant Gear Zero. Right, so, yeah, yeah. I used that system, that worked quite well. Yeah, that, last, that was, was uh, about six, eight months, wasn't yeah, that? That was great, because yeah. every time we died, we kind of reset because we, we, yeah. yeah. we were all playing Robots. hosts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was that was quite scary. Actually, I think there was a lot of uh, frustrating. We've done this bit before, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, these people are going to turn up in uh, five minutes, aren't they? And we'll yeah. have to deal with them again. <laughs> but well, I guess it, it was quite good fun. Yeah. Sort of mm. being being a being an avatar in a sort of game world. As it yeah, were, yeah. What's coming mm. up? I like, yeah, that bit of self-awareness. But yeah, you hacked um, Mutant Year Zero for that yeah. to, to make it like nineteen twenties gangster yeah. style, which was. Yeah. Quite, quite good. Sort of hide the Westworld kind of theme. Then yeah. I didn't tell them they were hosts to start off with, so they had to figure that out oh, as they went on. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, it was getting cunning. Excellent. Very uh, cunning. Dave and I are working on a straight Western Oh, yes. Yeah, I heard about that as well. Um, but uh, that brings us on to some, something that you're toying with, shall we say, Dave? Oh, um, God, if only. In terms of hacking the, uh, the mutant, year, not mutant, well, you're called the Year Zero engine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've 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 had a, a a desire to get Harry Potter as an RPG for so long now you wouldn't believe. Um, I, it's just such a, a perfect setting for a role playing game, and yeah, it's just frustrating that it doesn't exist. Uh, I've I've worked with um, Cubicle Seven, and we got very close to actually getting somewhere with it, and then it was shot down the last minute, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so, so maybe one day, maybe one day. But, um, but In yeah. the meantime, for your own table, are you, yeah. are you creating a, we, a I hack? Kind, kind of hacked loot, tells from the loot, mostly because it's teenagers who don't normally die, thankfully. Uh, it's very impressive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's it's lots of investigation, which is basically what Harry Potter is. It's just like a it's a mystery every every year. So it's a good fluid system for, for that mm. kind of thing, nice and light, um, but with some tension with it. Like mm. the, the whole pushing the role is very yeah, it just leads to some tense moments in the game. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice system for that. Cool. So how are you handling magic, or how are you handling the 
specific sort of magic of, shall we say, since 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 we're not talking about any licensed ware, shall we say, schoolboy wizards? Schoolboy um, wizards, yes. Um, speaking Latin, what what sort of magic system are <laughs> you hacked for? That? I, I don't think it was it was anything too major. It's because because the actual setting itself is already split into like um, charms and uh, defense against the dark arts and transfiguration. So. Um, that kind of automatically right. gave you the, the three skills that you that, that you needed. So I know in most of the most of the games they've kind of got a three skills per attribute, yeah. um, and kind of split the the ties with the attributes. So right. The, so so you can match with which one of your skills with whichever is the most appropriate attribute and, for them. Yeah, and the and the attributes were basically going to be like courage, um, cunning, um, and so each one was related to a specific house. Oh, I was about to say, courage is surely Gryffindor, and exactly. cunning is surely Slytherin. So, so yeah, your your highest highest attribute um, determines which house you're sorted so into. Speaking as, well. as a Ravenclaw, <laughs> what what would my highest attribute be? Uh, I can't remember which one. I think it's wisdom, if I remember rightly. Ah, yeah, yeah, so, um, so you could you could pick and choose whichever one was more suited to the to the um, the situation. Ah, yeah, excellent. You had um, some lovely uh, designs for the character sheet already drawn out. Yeah, yeah, I've got I could, did them on little uh, little parchmenty bits and stuff with, mm. the, with the Hogwarts crest as being the, and then you take the the animals out the shield and then you can write your numbers in there and everything. So, Very nice. So I've got to say, I've been following your blog. Have you have you played it? Have you, uh, no, I haven't got around to it yet. No, I'm I, I'm a great one for, um, for for coming up with the game systems, never getting a chance to play them. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, we, we have been um, thankfully sidetracked by um, Stu's game that he's been working on, which is uh, Mythical Greece. Aegean, uh, you can find it at aegeanrpg.com, which is uh, my own system. Uh, It's mythical, historical Greece, and uh, the the core of the game is your standard uh, running around, killing things, investigating things, but also there's a city management aspect to it. So you have a new colony which you have to kind of nurture and grow to kind of give your group uh, a kind of common goal. Mm. So we've been um, playing that for about six months. Mm. It's been no, good. Ancient Greece seems to be having a bit of a revival. Uh, I mean, obviously we've got well, this is an ancient Greece, but RuneQuest Club has come back. Mm. So Ken Heights working on ancient Greece with battle mechs or something. Oh, uh, God, I've not seen that. Wow. That sounds, well, yeah. he's, the game is he's talking a lot, a lot about it. That sounds I great. Think, <laughs> called Hellenistica or something. Mm. Um, so, Greece, Greece, you seem to be on the Zeke coast here. Yeah, right? hopefully. Just the right time to do it. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, that's what you're playing at the moment. It is, yeah. And it's not, it's not a year zero hack. No, no. no. I've occasionally been tempted. I've been sort of swinging between year zero hack, uh, Genesis hack, Blades in the Dark hack, but mm-hmm. in the end, it's my own system. It's D10, Dice Pool, uh, Stat and Skill based. So, actually, it's not too far removed from year uh, zero. So, you've got a website for that. Mm-hmm. There's what not very much on there. What are you going to do commercially? Are you going to kickstart it? Is this the fashion? Possibly. I'm still playtesting rules at the moment. In fact, I've got a playtest tomorrow of some of the city rules here. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I'm not sure. Uh, might be a Kickstarter. I might look for traditional publishing. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. still, yeah. 
still up in arms up in the air about that at the moment. Good. And then after that, hopefully some alien. Then yes, crossed. we will be playing some alien. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Really, so really almost finished that. the PDF. Yeah, <laughs> that. Yes. So that, that'll be fun, and there'll mm. be a campaign mode for that as well. Can't yep. wait. Uh, so I think that's everything covered. Unless there's anything else that you'd like to say while you're while you're speaking to the world. When I say the world, I mean about 300 regular listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Can I plug my audio drama? By all means, that's exactly what that question is meant to say. So, <laughs> so what is your audio drama? So it's Tales from the Aletheian Society, which you can find at hunterhoose.co.uk. It's a it's very Call of Cthulhu. It's Victorian uh, mystics, group of mystics saving the world. They're fairly inept, so it's a bit horror, a bit comedy. Uh, but we've just done, uh, we did season one and season two last year. Season three will be out in a couple of months. Let's just clarify this. This is a scripted audio drama. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's come out of uh, a role-playing No, game. no. Cool. Though I think originally the, the writers actually, uh, it had been intended as a LARP, but they never got round to it. And oh, it yeah. Far better when you write the script and everybody, you know exactly what yes. they're going to say. <laughs> they're not going to fluff their lines. Yeah, much well, easier. If they fluff their lines, you're going to be Brilliant. Okay, well... Thanks. Very well. Oh, Dave, you got anything else to plug? I, I don't think so. Just just keep keep an eye on my blog because I'm always talking about stuff I'm working on at the moment, um, which is currently uh, Doctor Who for Cubicle Seven, and uh, my own thing, which is uh, Wild, which is Wake. Well, um, I knew there was something else to plug. I've seen that on your blog <laughs> as well. So yeah, yeah. as Wake initiated lucid wild dreaming. Um, if you can imagine Inception meets the Matrix. Meets um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. That's probably the best way to Whoa. describe it. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been working on for the last eight years now, which is quite scary. Brilliant. <laughs> and what's your plan for that when you've finished it? I have no idea. Okay. No, no idea. Um, it's because it's a tarot card based system as well, so it's it might be a little bit expensive to self publish. So I might have to kickstart. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just pausing here. I'll let this pause out. So does it need a dedicated tarot set? Or can you play with it? Anyway? You can use it any tarot set, um, but there is a dedicated one which uses symbolism to uh, inspired by the 100 most common dreams in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank um, you. We'll no, look forward to great. Uh, seeing how all these, all these projects reach fruition. Excellent. Thank you very much. Terrific. Uh, that was a really good opportunity to chat to uh, Dave and Stu, and um, really good to hear that RPG Day is is not going to uh, dwindle away, um, and that Dave's going to keep uh, keep pressing on with that. And obviously, all the all the stuffs out there already. But um, now that's really good news. I thought it was quite interesting to to hear a bit about taking uh, Mutant Year Zero and running it into um, a Westworld hack. Which I thought was yeah. a, really, a really interesting idea, particularly the bit about not telling them that they were hosts, so that they were going to come yeah. come back later on. Which I thought was a really nice touch. Would have been interesting to maybe have heard a little bit more about that. And if you'd been a half decent interviewer, you might have delved. But seeing you're not, then um, you didn't. Um, no, I, well, I always <laughs> thought we could. I'd, I'd met up with Dave, and uh, Stu was there, and he's a lovely bloke. Uh, but of course, I hadn't. Didn't know anything about him, so I hadn't prepared any interview questions for him in particular. <laughs> Maybe we can invite Stu back for another Players in Hamam to talk about, you know, the changes he made to yeah, Zero and, and the Westworld hack and other stuff that he's doing. 
Okay, we'll um, we'll schedule that for some time after. We're, we're getting quite a run of players in Hammam uh, yeah. interviews now, so it, it won't be straight away. It'll be in a couple of months' it'll time. Be, it'll be later. Least. Yeah, no, that's yes. cool. But also interesting to hear that they took Harry Potter and gave it a Tales from the Loop um, treatment. And now, personally, for me, I... Do I hate Harry Potter? No, I don't hate Harry Potter. I just don't like it very much. So for me, that doesn't really appeal, frankly. But um, obviously for a lot of people it would. And uh, maybe, you know, that's that's an idea for others to do a bit of... Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm just wondering what, you know, we know that uh, Free League had five things that they would like a license for. And I just wonder whether Harry Potter was one of the other uh-huh. four yeah. after Aliens. Well, it would be a good license um, to get, wouldn't it? I mean, just putting aside the fact that I don't like Harry Potter very much... Um, you know, there are millions and millions of, of kids and adults out there who love Harry Potter. So, um, my. Yeah, it would be a really good introduction to yeah. role playing games for generations. I mean, it's interesting. I, you know, uh, I, I, I think Alien is bringing a bunch of people to the gaming table that have never done an RPG before. Yes. But I think um, uh, Harry Potter could potentially <laughs> bring Do we even more? massively more people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good, a good idea. Well, maybe we should. You know, if uh, when the free league guys listen to this, which I know they they do religiously, um, I understand that they every Monday morning they have a everyone they sit down with a coffee and they listen to you know an episode of uh, yeah the latest Effect episode they have, to, they have to do that for work. Don't um, they? Yeah. That that is it's in their contracts <laughs> now. Yeah, um, yeah. Nowadays, I know, yeah. I know they do that. Yeah. Uh, so when they when they do that, then obviously they'll hear this and they'll go, ah, oh, Harry Potter. Um, that's a yeah. great idea. In that way, we are the shadows behind the throne. <laughs> <laughs> something like that yeah yeah the creeping darkness well, between I'm, the stars I'm, <laughs> the creeping darkness behind nils and thomas and Matthias. <laughs> yeah they, they might they might not see that in the same way that we do possibly so so fortunately they probably don't listen to this so that's, that's phew we're yeah. off the hook yes yes they, yeah. they haven't listened to any of that last bit you've been waffling on about <laughs> but talking about well, talking about creeping darkness, um, I think we should talk about why those people who've come to Free League games through Alien or one of the other games but hasn't played Coriolis, I think we should talk to them now about why they should play what is our, maybe not my first love from Free League because I love Mutant Year Zero, but it's certainly our collective first love and it has what, it's what has got us into this podcast and to where we are now. So, yeah, over to you, Matthew. All this talk about Alien has made me hungry. Not for Alien itself, but for Free League's first space game, Coriolis, The Third Horizon. Long-term listeners will know that we started out as The Coriolis Effect, but if you have discovered this podcast through the Alien role-playing game, this is my effort to persuade you to uh, expand your horizons. Space-based games in particular seem to suffer from why do we need another syndrome? While fantasy systems proliferate with impunity, this is more realistic than D&D, this one is grittier, this one is darker, this one more horrific, this one is like D&D used to be, etc. New space-based games are immediately greeted with I can do all that in Traveller. Admittedly, I'm sure there are plenty of people saying, I can do all that in D&D too. 
but I think there's something about the size of the fandom that makes their voice a lot quieter. In the smaller worldwide audience for space gaming, Traveller Grognards appear more dominant. So, what is special about Coriolis? What can you do in that game that you can't do in Traveller, or indeed in most other space games? You can pray. What I love about Coriolis is that it offers us a spiritual or religious aspect that is ingrained in the system and the setting. Traveller famously eschews any religion, unless PCs are gods to some primitive race. Even the world of Warhammer 40k, with its god-emperor, doesn't make prayer a mechanic, or I should say, it didn't when I last looked. Now, you might be saying to yourself that you're not sure you want a game with a deeply ingrained religion. And if you are firmly of this view, I'm not going to try and win you over. There is no point in playing Coriolis if you don't want to embrace this aspect of the game. But the game makes it so easy to embrace. Prayer is this game's version of the Year Zero engine push mechanic. No sixes, or too few? Then you can pray to the relevant icon, there are nine icons, and re-roll any dice that didn't come up six last time. If you pray to the right icon before the scene, you get an extra dice in the re-roll. So, for example, if you are going to a negotiation, pray first to the messenger, and for manipulation skill push rolls, you can claim that extra die. On the other hand, if you think the negotiation will end badly, pray instead to the judge, and your combat skill re-rolls get the extra die instead. If you took the time to visit a temple to make your preparatory prayer, you get to add two extra dice. What this means is you find it mechanically advantageous to roleplay visits to chapel and preparatory prayer even if, in the heat of combat, your prayer is just a re-roll. It makes the religion of the Third Horizon perfectly ordinary, a thing everybody just does, like saying bless you after a sneeze. It makes the gods of this world real, because praying to them gets you in-game rewards, whether or not your character believes they really exist. It gives a setting real mechanical weight. And what a setting! The Third Horizon is richly detailed, almost too rich, as a new GM may not know where to start. But don't let that put you off, because you can start anywhere. Maybe start with what your players are interested in. If all the talk of prayers gets them hot for a holy war, read about the Zalos system and get them involved in one side or the other of the civil war there. If they are heavily into body modification, start by reading up on the nomads. Is Casablanca an inspiration? Then start on Coriolis itself. If your players fancy some futuristic Indiana Jones action, then head to the Quadrant of the Pillar. If you don't know where to start, share your ideas for the sort of adventure you want and many friendly players on social media will tell you where in the horizon you want to read about. The third horizon is full of possibilities. But it's not full. Many of the worlds are left for you and your players to define. So if you don't want to get swamped by all the backstory, just set your campaign on one of those less visited systems and create an adventure where Coriolis 
is a far-off rumour. Though the icons are real, or real enough to answer your prayers, aliens are not. Well, the people you meet with, converse with, are all human-ish. Biosculpting and cybernetics might have changed some human shapes, and bioengineered humanites and semi-intelligence offer players the chance to play people that most of the rest of society don't quite recognise as human. But nothing like the knobbly-headed alien races of Star Trek exists in the Third Horizon. There are monsters, made more terrible by science's inability to understand them. There are creatures, jinn, and horrors born of darkness between the stars that will poison your mind, eat your spaceship, or, very probably, kill you. And of course there are human opponents too some with mystic powers to test your ability to survive. I'm not a fan of factions in games, particularly when they're used as a replacement for character class or alignment, so it's refreshing that Coriolis makes things a lot more messy and complex. No faction is the sneaky one, and many have made their own sneaky spies or secret police. All are entangled in each other's business too, so, for example... The Judicators are a creation of the Zenithian hegemony, commissioned by the Consortium, whose practices are based on Alarm's Temple, who, if anything, are a rip-off or homage to the Companion's Guild of Firefly. And it's good that none of the characters need belong to or side with any of these factions. I note that only three character concepts can even opt for the faction-standing talent that makes them a member of a faction at character creation. Overall, it's as though the factions are meant to feel like the competing and compromising political players of real life, and the PCs more likely to be crushed by than to influence their machinations. This iteration of the Year Zero engine sits at a medium level of complexity, about the same as Alien, more complex than Tales from the Loop, and less crunchy than Forbidden Lands and the Mutant games. Combat is fast and efficient, despite an action point economy that might put some people off. Extra successes can be spent on fighting moves that in other games you might have to declare before rolling the dice, which adds a nice level of nuance to the combat. PCs have more hit points than most Year Zero games, which tends towards a slightly pulpier feel in combat, but the crit table can bring fights to a sudden and surprising end. Roll 2d6 as a d66, or draw an icon card if you have the deck, and 11 to 35 describe a number of injuries. 36 to 64 describe your injury and how long it's going to take to die, and 65 and 66, you're dead. Space combat is abstracted in a pleasing way, with meaningful actions for every member of the crew to perform. But enough about the system, I keep returning to the game's real strength, the setting. There's a timeline which explains that our adventures start less than 70 years after the creation of the Coriolis station. I like that the world is so young. It makes everything about the factions and judicators and so on seem fresh and exciting. Some settings seem to have millennia-long histories where nothing changes except the ebb and flow of evil empires. The technology, the society, stays the same. 
This world does have centuries of history too, but like our own world, most of it is archaeology. I also like that the descriptions of places are littered with sidebar story hooks and short D6 tables of characters you might meet in your exploration of the station. These are the sort of stories that I find useful, and I know I will find them useful because at some point my players will say, let's go to X, and I can look it up between sessions and find interesting things for them to do there. What impresses me is, in just a few paragraphs for each planet, the writers manage to evoke a varied ecosystem and a variety of societies on each world. So Labau is not just a desert planet, but an interesting magnetospherical anomaly, with the South Pole permanently pointing towards the Sun, and reaching temperatures of 600 degrees, and an icy North, but a vaguely habitable bit in between. The entry on Kua describes not just one city, but many, with a variety of cultures. Yes, the more you read, the more questions you ask, and sometimes it is frustrating that the answers are not clear. But, weary pilgrim, remember that every question is an opportunity for adventure. Play to find out. That was a really interesting discussion, Matthew, and actually um, uh, yeah, it, it's not having played Coriolis for a little bit, listening to that has got me kind of really keen, your appetite. keen to play again um and i think got you moist for it has it it's it's whetted my appetite yes matthew i might just edit that out we are you know we're not 12 and you know there are sensible <laughs> well, i don't know are there, we are, not? <laughs> there are sensible people out there who listen to this you may not appreciate our pathetic pointless humor um but anyway uh so what i was going to say was um I think, for me, Coriolis was the first game in a long, long time that broke that, oh, not another bloody space game trope. Because it was, mm. it was, you know, it was so sufficiently different um, for all the things that you, you know, that you talk about it. I think space games run, really run the risk of just not having, you know, you know an, an individual look and feel. So, you know, Traveller, Traveller obviously had it, has it, because, you know, it, it was, you know, the first just about. Um, Coriolis has it because it's 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 got so many different angles to it, and it, it's got so so such a different kind of sense to it. Um, but a lot of other games that I've I should really love, just again felt a bit like just another space game. Things like Firefly and Serenity, even, and you know some of the various Star Wars games I've played. These are the kind of things that I should, you know, would, would should really make me get excited. But actually, they often feel uh, you know, it's just it's, it's another just another space game that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I think there's something interesting about the fact that space games are so broad and and do actually manage to accomplish quite a lot because there's all of space. Mm. Uh, but uh, although that always boils down to making trades, and I think Coriolis can be guilty of this as well. You know, you're you're on a mid bulk trader, and you're you're going between planets doing trades it can all feel a bit samey partly because you can do everything whereas i think fantasy games are a bit tighter you know in dungeons and dragons you basically go into dungeons and fight dragons and other monsters yeah uh, I mean, in RuneQuest, you go you know specifically not in dungeons very often and you're 
part of the community and you're you're questing for runes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, space. I, yeah, I mean, on that point, though, I mean, I I I had a, a little dabble again at playing D and D, not last year, year before um, fifth edition with our friend Connor running it, and I really enjoyed the games and I enjoyed my character, but kind of you know the the days of running a, of being in a game where you just go and kill everything in a room and take what's in there i kind of thought yeah they're a bit they're a bit past me now um it's yeah not, but that's my, i think that's my it's, point it's, it's not the, enough because that's what D does the other fantasy games do something a bit different mm. so you can go back you know if you if you want to go for a dungeon delve and uh kill everything and take their stuff then you can go back to D, but because that so clearly defines D, all the other fantasy games offer different things that get you excited Whereas actually, because Traveller was pretty much everything, it's really hard for other space games to offer something different. Okay, yeah, I I, I take your point. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I also wonder with space whether whether coming to a new space game, there's like you say, the the options are almost limitless. That it's very easy to just fall back on, you know, spaceships and. Corporate corporations yeah. and big, big loads of black space, and so every game has that kind of feel to it. Um, but I think Coriolis doesn't, and I think you're right in saying that it doesn't, um, on the basis of uh, just the the setting and the the religious aspect to it, which I think you know could put some people off. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't particularly want to play a game with. A lot of religiosity in it, to, to coin an American phrase. But the way Coriolis does it, as you say, it's just part of life. It's like saying "bless you" when you sneeze. It's it, it's not invasive in that sense, unless you and your players want it to be invasive and make it you know a key part of your of your game. It can just be there in the background, something that you just do because you know it's like getting up and doing your teeth in the morning. You, know, you get up and go to the chapel for a quick pray. It, yeah, and it works brilliantly. Obviously, you know I. I you know, it's um, yeah, it, it's one of its real strengths. Also, yeah. I think, I mean, you, you you kind of talk about the rich detail of of the book a bit, and this kind of sort of references back to my conversation earlier about us getting lucky with Alien, um, in that they felt there was too much stuff, and they, as as Nils mentioned it to me, didn't want to make the same mistake as they did with Coriolis, mm. uh, in that they feel that it was a mistake that Coriolis' core book was too big, and it should have been shorter and and snappier. Now, as a player, I never at any point thought the Coriolis core book was too big. It was big. Um, there's a lot of stuff in it, but I'm quite comfortable in uh, you know, running a game and ignoring the bits that don't fit for me rather than having to go you know, to every bit of detail about you know, if, there, if there's a possibility of um, you know, I'm running something on, on Lubao, for example, that you, you mentioned. I've got to have it perfect and I've got to have its relationship to Kua perfect. I've got to have its relationship, you know, I'm quite happy just to hand wave that or work it out as I go along. But I get for some people, they're not so happy to do that or they'd much rather delve into the stuff that's actually written. In which case, having a big book stuffed full of stuff can be a problem because you've got a lot of stuff to wade through to find all the little snippets of information that you're looking for. Whereas for me, it wasn't a problem. So there is that rich background. We've talked before about it being grey. You know, there is no good guy. There is no bad guy. You know, even in any faction... You could play a good guy or a bad guy. Um, mm. It is so rich in that sense. And a lot of the stuff that we've talked about 
over the months and years has been has been inspired by tiny little details exactly. one line here a word there yeah precisely um, yeah and I, I that's what that's that's really my love I, I my challenge actually in writing that piece was was uh constantly wanting to switch back between setting and the system because actually it all feels so interlinked you can't talk about one without the other but but the setting does have all these lovely lovely tiny details that that can inspire whole worlds if you so desire and yeah it's interesting i i think whether they'll get the right happy medium with the alien game i mean in a way i i worry a bit about the alien game because Coriolis, we know, kind of came out of it being a popular uh, Swedish space game and having a huge community, uh, I mean, not in global terms, but in Swedish terms of, of gamers writing for it, which is where Free League themselves came from. Um, but it had, these, you know, all those details are a legacy of uh, uh, at least a decade of play happening before we even heard of it in English. I mean, I, I agree. I think the, the the risk with Alien is that everyone who loves alien thinks they know what it is and you know and for them you know whatever they think it is that's that's alien for them so there's a lot of expectations out there that are going to be going to be very high um and there's you know as we found there's there's obviously negotiations about you know in in the content of scenarios and things that are going to be published uh they have to be consistent with the canon and so obviously Mm. there has to be a reference back to you know the keeper of the canon. You know that you know Fox back in the states, and so there, so there's all these expectations. Whereas for Coriolis, for those of us who came to it for the first time, we had none of those expectations. We just saw this wonderful idea, this this fabulous setting, this beautiful game system that that I mean I was familiar with from Mutant Year Zero, and then when this came up, you know, as we said before, I mailed you and said you got to kick in for this, mate. Get on with it. There was none of that expectation. It was all new. It was all fresh. There, there were no expectations to be to be dashed or to be disappointed, even if yeah. what Free League do in Alien is going to be, you know, excellent and brilliant for gaming and great campaign stuff and loads of information and lots of story hooks and great ideas. There will still be people who will be disappointed because it won't match the Alien that they think they know from having yeah, watched the films and read the books and the comics. We've all got our own alien in our head, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a challenge, but it could be quite an exciting one as as people get to play out there. I mean, the beauty, of course, of all these games is you you get them, you're inspired by them. When when you're at your table, you're playing your alien and your Coriolis, your Third Horizon, um, uh, and well, we'll see what people make of it. I'm really excited still. Yeah, yeah, me too. But listeners, um, if you haven't played Coriolis and you're interested. Give it a go. It is uh, it is such a great game. Um, I can't I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's uh, yeah. Go, yes. go and get it uh, and play it. It's great. Go out and get it. <laughs> go and buy it. Uh, and that brings most of this program to a close. It does. I think it? we've blathered on as usual for for um, some little while. Um, so next time. Um, we will be getting into RPG a day. Yes. So uh, as we did last year in celebration of Gen Con and inspired by Dave Chapman and uh, his RPG a day, we'll be releasing a daily podcast. Short, 
and sweet. Well, <laughs> sometimes short and acidic uh, occasionally. <laughs> um, acerbic, and maybe, going, rather than acidic. It's going to be acerbic, yes. Uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting challenge this time because in previous years there's been a question uh, and yeah. they were saying he, how, you know, now lots of other people have, have started doing question of the day type things. He's moved away from a question and there's a single word to inspire us. So I think, Dave, you and I need to think a little bit about how you and I are going to respond to all those words. Well, apart from you know, apart from the 16th, the word for dream, where we will be, we'll be uh, making, making somebody's dream, dream come, come true. true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a different challenge, isn't it, with just words? You yeah. know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I haven't thought about it in any depth yet. But um, no, but I do think we will need to think about it in advance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But uh, yeah, cool, good. Looking forward to it. So that's what's coming up next from uh, the Effect Podcast. Uh, we're always interested in your feedback. As I said, we're happy to take your questions, and if there's general interest, we'll answer them on the show. But that's uh, feedback at effectpodcast.org. So please do that. Obviously, if you want to come and join our growing gang. Um, Patreon is there so please do that uh, but otherwise I think I'm probably done for today what about you Matthew well it must be time for me to say goodbye indeed and me to say goodbye too and may the icons bless your adventures You have been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>